Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez, the co-founder of Roster Coach and 4 for 4 Associate Editor. What's up, TJ? What is good, Chris? Just, uh, man, we're at the halfway point, so... It's uh, it's coming, it's going fast, but I'm excited to get this week started. Yeah, it is Wednesday, October 26th, week eight, upcoming in the NFL. Who would have thought that Jay Ajayi would have been setting NFL records, and we all about to roster CJ Fedorowicz at tight end. A lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things change very quickly in the NFL. So, a lot to talk about on today's podcast our dfs theory segment will be on chalk and chalk plays and whether to play them or fade them and how successful they are etc so excited to talk about that with tj a little later on before we get into that of course we'll talk about the song that played us in which was nelly ride with me featuring city spud off of his 2000 smash debut album country grammar i didn't even have to look up the album or anything or the year for for this song because i remember exactly when this came out it kind of caught me by surprise but i just remember throwing this whole album in and being like wow like who is nelly where he come from this is awesome yeah he was one of those rare dudes that that popped up and like kind of kind of changed the whole game like you can't really talk about uh classic 2000 hip-hop without mentioning nelly he brought the the backwards jersey and the air force ones so uh shout out to nelly yeah i remember i wore i think i wore a backwards ron dane giants jersey (laughs) to my first day of high school sounds about right i think i had air force ones in uh in every single color Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I wore the backwards jersey with the Air Force Ones. I, I might have even put the Band-Aid under my, my eye at least once. I'm sure I did. Yeah, you had to. <laughs> Before we jump into the plays and the DFS theory, let's quickly talk about the 4 for 4 DFS Championship hosted by DraftKings. You guys can go and join that by going to the 4for4.com homepage on the right-hand side under DFS weekly fantasy games there is a link that says four for four championship at DraftKings, and you click that and you see how to enter last week m hallstrom 15 took down the championships with a score of 214.48 so congratulations to him marcus mariota was his qb uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Melvin Gordon were his running backs. Jamison Crowder, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, his wide receivers, went with the double tight end, Delaney Walker, 
and Jack Doyle. That's some nice correlation there, too. Same game. And then the Patriots defense, uh, LeGarrette Blunt and Melvin Gordon and Crowder all under 6% owned. Um, I didn't have nearly as much luck. Tried to go really contrarian. It was just the wrong week to do that. Um, I had some Brandon Cooks, Derek Carr, Michael Crabtree. Um, interesting lineup construction, but nothing nothing hit. Um, congratulations, though, to Joe Hoka, who qualified. Um, and also congratulations to John Paulson, who finished in 10th place. Got himself a t-shirt. Uh, how did you do this week, TJ? Uh, horrible. Um, I did great in cash. I did great in cash games this week. Uh, kind of like you, I thought this was a re- that was a really good week to go contrarian, just because um, the the clear plays were so obvious um, that oftentimes that is a really good spot just to kind of go off the board because uh, just random variants, not even nothing even have to do with football. It's just hard for that many um, chalk plays or popular plays to hit together in the same week, but it happened. Um, so. Uh, congrats to those that uh, rolled out the the chalkier lineups and and the four for four championship is really interesting spot to implement some game theory because not only is it a little bit of a smaller tournament just 500 people but um it is open to the public but for the most part i'm assuming it's it's full of four for four subscribers or listeners or people that read four for four so uh you kind of have a, a lot of people that are thinking the same way and probably playing a lot of the same plays, even if they aren't playing the chalk. So that adds another layer to this game that I really like. Yeah, I ended up going super contrarian. And as I was making my lineup for 4 for 4 it wasn't even a lineup that I threw in anywhere else. Like I made a mm-hmm. one specifically for that. And I'm sitting there making my lineup literally looking at my own write-up and trying to avoid (laughs) the players that I wrote up. And, of course, it comes back to haunt me because uh, I wrote up LeGarrette Blunt, I wrote up Mariota, I wrote up Crowder, I wrote up uh, Walker, I wrote up Doyle. Mm -hmm. So, like, it it was, like, the worst week for me to be doing that. Yeah, but it's a a strategy that makes a ton of sense in this contest, and uh, I think it's just... Uh, it's a really fun game and something to think about. So shout out to Joe, shout out to John, uh, shout out to the top finishers this week. I don't know if I should be a little insulted that you know, guy. I wrote up Blunt and he's only five point five percent owned in the in the four for four and Crowder five point seven. I don't think people are respecting the uh, my write ups, man. So I'm about to start about to start trolling on these guys <laughs> <laughs> and just writing up a bunch of ridiculous guys. Uh, let's move on again. You can check out the four for four championship and enter, uh, by going to four for four.com, clicking on the four for four DraftKings championship link on the right hand side of the screen. There are 500 spots each week. So be sure to check that out. Let's jump right into the quarterbacks. Um, Andrew Luck. And TJ, I know you have some thoughts on this, but Andrew Luck, he's 7,900 on FanDuel and 6,800 on DraftKings. It is his lowest FanDuel price since week nine of 2012. And I don't have the DraftKings pricing prior to 2014 handy, but from 2014 on, it's also his lowest DraftKings price as well. And TJ, you had some thoughts on... Th- why that might be in just on quarterback pricing as the season progresses in general. 
Yeah, I only looked at, at, at DraftKings, and this is like a very anecdotal observation. I haven't really ran too many numbers on this, but um, looking at DraftKings and then kind of similarly on FanDuel, what it looks like to me is it looks like the sites are trying to distribute quarterback pricing more evenly, um, meaning that it, maybe they put a, a cap on percentage of of uh, salary that the the cheapest guy can be below the most expensive guy or just um, how high that a quarterback ceiling can go. But if you look at the pricing, it's really distributed. Like it's a really even distribution. It goes down very gradually. Uh, I went back to, to week eight last year, since that's the week we're in right now, just to see if there was the same thing. And uh, last, last year in week eight on DraftKings, Tom Brady was $8,100 and the next most expensive quarterback was $7,500. Uh, and then there was only one quarterback that was starting that was priced at $5,000. So uh, I, I'm not sure exactly why they would do that or if they're doing it on purpose or if, if it's just a, um, a coincidence with their change in the algorithm this year. But uh, salary is is a little bit tighter overall this year, um, especially on DraftKings compared to last year. And they still have a lot of these contests that they want to fill, like the Millie Maker, every week. And they do have an incentive not to... Um, have a ton of overlap, so maybe by keeping the most popular position quarterback, that people people uh, tend to um, that those, those position that position that is really re- reflected based on on expectation ownership. Um, they're trying to maybe drive ownership uh, up in some spots, uh, i.e., a cheap quarterback, or drive it uh, uh, excuse and or drive it down with with guys that are are a little more expensive. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the correct observation but it's just something i noticed this week yeah i certainly noticed it too i remember doing my write-up earlier in the preseason looking at the pricing for the first time in week one and what i noticed was that the pricing on DraftKings for quarterbacks was a lot higher than it had been Mm -hmm. for most of last year and then it kind of has progressively gotten lower across the board for quarterbacks and then as far as FanDuel, I'm looking at the 4 for 4 FanDuel player pricing report for quarterbacks, and it looks like over 30 quarterbacks have seen a decrease in pricing from last week, while only 5 saw an increase. Uh, so really, really interesting um, that, you know, on both sites, I feel like they are they are definitely manipulating quarterback pricing. And as we'll talk about later on when we get into chalk, quarterback ownership tends to be flatter across the board in tournaments in general um usually don't see a quarterback at 20 percent or above so maybe the pricing um and the way they're pricing these quarterbacks is has something to do with that uh but let's continue talking about luck really quick uh Luck has 80% of the Colts offensive yardage 79% of their touchdowns uh, since 2013, at home, Andrew Luck is averaging 19 more yards and .2 more passing touchdowns. Looks like Dante Moncrief will make his return this week, which would also uh, give a boost to Luck. And the Chiefs defense has a pretty solid DVP rating or a pretty solid schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed rating, uh, mainly because of the six-interception game versus Ryan Fitzpatrick. Even when you adjust for strength of schedule, it's hard to really uh, negate a six-interception game too much. But when the Chiefs have faced uh, more upper-echelon quarterbacks, they allowed 300 yards and five 
passing touchdowns on the road to Ben Roethlisberger, and then they allowed 367 yards and three touchdowns uh, to Drew Brees, who tends to struggle on the road in Arrowhead last week. So I don't think the Colts are an imposing matchup for Andrew Luck. I don't think this salary decrease for him is warranted. The game against the Chiefs has an over-under of 50, even though the Colts are home dogs. So I I think Luck is in a really good spot, and I I really think it it would be smart to take advantage of his low price point. TJ? Yeah, at my kind of my first... uh gloss over of these games every sunday or monday night i just take a quick look at pricing just kind of look at some vegas stuff really quick without writing anything down and uh this one jumped off the page to me i think there was some really early reverse line movement in favor of the colts uh they are going to be at home and although the the chiefs have a pretty good defense um but they really want to play a close game or play from ahead and we saw like you mentioned with pittsburgh if they get behind a little bit it could snowball so this this passing offense is a really good spot this weekend. Um, one thing I do want to, to mention before we we move on, we're, we're in week eight now, so f- we have seven weeks of data on some teams, still six weeks for teams that have uh, had a bye already. But we talked about this a little bit last year, and, and we'll be implementing this a lot more go- going forward. Uh, one of our friends over from Rotoviz, uh, Rotodoc, wrote an article a couple years ago, uh, basically said that, Six weeks of data is the most relevant fantasy, uh, most relevant data for fantasy purposes. Um, obviously, you just you're not blindly looking at six weeks, but um, you know a game in, in week one isn't going to hold that much weight in week fifteen. So it's it's a little silly to weight that evenly and look at full season stats. So this is kind of the point of the season where we're going to start. Uh, adjusting those numbers, not always looking at season-long numbers. But moving on to my quarterback, a guy that I really like this week is Matt Ryan. He's $8,500 on FanDuel, $7,000 on DraftKings, so a little bit cheaper on DraftKings, pretty expensive on FanDuel. But uh, like we mentioned, that quarterback pricing is all packed pretty tightly. There isn't anyone running away with the top salary uh, and then on, on DraftKings, I mean, he's priced as the fifth quarterback, but he's clearly um, outside of Tom Brady the last couple of weeks. But for the whole season, Matt Ryan's been been nails, pretty much the top guy. But, you know, if, if it was some other quarterback doing this, he'd probably be priced 78, 7900. But Matt Ryan's only seven thousand um, dollars in the game with the highest over under uh, over under of the week, just over 52 points. The Falcons have the highest implied point total of the week over 27 points. Matt Ryan trails only Tom Brady in touchdown rate and fantasy points per attempt. And, of course, we're always looking for that efficiency, not just those raw numbers. And then I I do think some people might shy away from this, even with the uh, attractive game totals, because Green Bay has been pretty good against the pass overall. They look like a, a pretty tough matchup on paper. But if we look at their red zone numbers, Opposing uh, offensives have converted 30% of their red zone pass attempts into scores. Matt Ryan ranks third in the league in red zone expected value, a metric that I've talked about here before that I I created for 4 for 4 that basically just looks at uh, where a play is taking place from and then our expectation of a touchdown from each red zone play instead of lumping those red zone looks all together. Another thing I notice about Green Bay, uh, they rank 7th in raw fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, but if we look at a per-attempt basis, they only rank 19th in the league in fantasy points per attempt allowed. So again, looking to that efficiency, um, Green Bay's 
fantasy points allowed on, on pass has really been a function of just low volume against their their defense. But in a game with two uh, really fast paced teams, uh, we can see we can see a little bit of regression if we look at that that efficiency. And Matt Ryan has a chance to put up some some big numbers this week. Yeah, definitely. And it looks like. I'm thinking, going back to that quarterback pricing, I wonder if it also has something to do with implied totals because Matt mm-hmm. Ryan, you know, he went his price went down, which I I wouldn't have expected. But you know, their their implied total is I think it was thirty last week and it's twenty eight this week. I know he didn't have a great game last week, but um, I wouldn't necessarily expect a price decrease. Um, but yet his price went down, so mm-hmm. um, that's I don't know exactly what it is, but. It is interesting. Um, Matt Ryan, love the call. Uh, key stat, the Browns have allowed two or more passing touchdowns in all seven games this year and 15 of 16 games dating back to last season. The only quarterback not to throw for multiple passing touchdowns in the past 16 games against the Browns was Blaine Gabbert. TJ? Yeah, just to reiterate, Chris and I don't compare notes before this podcast, so um, we, we both have a Brown stat this week. Uh, mine is teams have only thrown on 38% of red zone plays against the Browns, but they've converted 50% of those attempts into touchdowns, so really inefficient against the pass in the red zone. Ties right into what you just mentioned about the multi-touchdown game. Yeah, and with all that being said... Ryan Fitzpatrick is back at quarterback. He's pretty angry. He's angry at the owner. He's angry at the GM. <laughs> He's angry at the coach. Uh, I guess it's angry Ryan. It's like angry Tom, except angry Ryan. He led the Jets to a win last week. Is Fitzpatrick viable? And I'll take it a step further. Is he viable in cash games given the just overall horribleness of the Browns' pass defense? Yeah, I mean, there there really isn't a a cheap quarterback that really jumps off the page at me this week. So if you are looking for a salary saving option outside of maybe Jameis, I can see going with Fitzpatrick. I'm not avoiding him this week. Like that that Cleveland defense is pretty close to like Detroit level bad in terms of just playing matchups against them. Um We'll get into this matchup a little bit more uh, later on, but I'm fine with Fitzpatrick this week. Okay, so let's say you, over his last 10 games, a quarterback is averaging 212 passing yards and 1.7 passing touchdowns, but only 6.29 yards per attempt. Is this a guy you want to pay top dollar for on the road? Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. Because that's Aaron Rodgers' road splits since the beginning of 2015. Just 212 passing yards a game. And I think he'll be pretty popular because this game is the it has the highest over-under. And I think a bunch of his receivers are going to be popular, which I don't have the exact data on it, but I'm sure it tends to ratchet up the ownership of the quarterback, especially in tournaments. And I think Randall Cobb and Ty Montgomery will both be popular. So what are your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers this week? Um, Do you want to be overweight on him in tournaments at all? Or are you staying away or what? 
Yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what um, what his ownership will look like on some of the smaller sites like Fantasy Aces and and try to make a decision from there because um, I it it does look like a really attractive spot. It's just really hard for me to pay for him when I can get the guy that I already mentioned, Matt Ryan, uh, cheaper in the same game. So I think if I want exposure to Rogers, uh, most likely. It will be through his weapons, but I could probably be sold on it just because it is going to be such a, a fast-paced game and probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just that's it's a great game. It's just his price really hasn't adjusted yet to the level of play that he has been at really since Jordy Nelson went down, or at least since maybe the midpoint of last season. I know he started the season um, with pretty decent numbers. Um, And I actually saw an interesting article on ESPN Insider that said, even though Aaron Rodgers' passing stats are down, he's actually uh, making a lot of plays with his legs in terms of just added expected value. And he's also adding a lot of expected value, um, through penalties, drawing teams off sides, or uh, pass interference calls and whatnot. So, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily like the, the sky is falling on Aaron Rodgers, but just in terms of his numbers, I mean, even though he threw for 300 yards, I think for the first time in, I think, 15 games last week, he needed 56 attempts to do it. And I just think without, without Jordy Nelson really providing that vertical threat, um, it's just a struggle for Rodgers to put up the numbers that we're we're used to seeing from him. So yeah, I mean, and and Jared Cook's been out too. I mean, don't don't ignore that because we talked about it before the season. Uh, Cook was supposed to be Jordy insurance. So if somehow Jordy does get right, Cook comes back. I, I think uh, if there is a guy that could be 2016's Russell Wilson, it can be Aaron Rodgers. Jared Cook sucks. <laughs> 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 like I mean, it, like I get his purpose, but we, we've talked about this. Like the guy always looks good on paper, and he—it's just in games, he's just not a difference maker. Like if you mm-hmm. take out that one game opening day, I think it was when he like went crazy. The first game with the Rams when he went crazy. Yep. Like what has he really done in the National Football yeah. League? Yeah, I mean. I 100% agree. I just mean, if, uh, from from the perspective of like what what we thought that the Packers would use him for in terms of 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 clearing out those safeties, running up the seam, um, like pa- Packers just don't have anyone doing that right now. Yeah, I mean, we saw Jeff Janis sighting last week, so you know Janis coming back from that hand injury. I would think you know they'd be smart to involve him more, even if it was simply to run those clear out routes, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. But let's move on. Running backs, Quiz Rogers yet again. It looks like Doug Martin's not going to play again this week. He uh, not practicing Wednesday. Word is that they are going to be very cautious with him, with which makes sense given that they just gave him a large contract. So Quiz Rogers is sixty six hundred on Fanduel, fifty eight hundred on DK. In two starts, he's averaging thirty one touches for one hundred forty six yards per game he's gone over the 100 yard rushing mark in both games the Raiders are 20th in running back schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed which you can find uh, if you're a subscriber to four for four the Raiders are allowing five 
8.0 yards per carry to running backs. And one thing that I also like about Rodgers' matchup is that the Raiders are just a bad pass defense as well. They're giving up 302.1 passing yards per game, which is dead last in the league. And what that does is that should help Jaquiz Rodgers get some chances in scoring position. It should allow the Buccaneers to sustain drives and keep feeding Quiz. So I think Quiz has is a good bet to post similar numbers to what he's been doing these past two weeks. And uh, TJ, I know there's another guy who kind of the just just kind of came into play today a few hours before the pod with some injury news to CJ Anderson. Talk about that. Yeah, and and just to touch on Quiz real quick. Um, I mean, since since he took over as the starter, Tampa Bay has uh, given their running backs over sixty percent, sixty six percent of the team touches, which. Uh, if you looked at the full season, Tennessee's the only team even close. 62% of their touches went to running back. So they're really focusing in on, on quiz. And, I mean, this, this iteration of the offense with Vincent Jackson hurt, with uh, Sims and uh, Doug Martin hurt, um, it's it's a very concentrated offense. These offenses we very rarely see. It's like it's all Mike Evans and quiz right now. So um, I w- I'm not fading that combo at all. But uh, C.J. Anderson out. Uh, Devontae Booker pretty much becomes like the lock cash game play of the week. $5,600 on FanDuel, $3,700 on DraftKings, playing against San Diego, who ranks 31st in running back adjusted fantasy points allowed. The Chargers are one of five teams to allow a touchdown on at least 5% of touches to running backs. And uh, if we look at the Denver backfield, overall they've combined for 28 touches per game. And C.J. Anderson was one of 11 running backs that's accounted for at least 25% of his team's total yards this year. So obviously they're losing a huge chunk of their offense. And the running back position is is the spot where uh, a player can step in and really just inherit that role with, without really skipping a beat. And uh, I don't think they have anyone outside of Booker that's really going to eat into his touches. Denver's going to be favored by four and a half at home. That line did move down a little bit from, I believe it opened at six, but still four and a half point home favorites uh, in a spot where he's going to get all the work against a really bad San Diego run defense. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry too much about line movement with a team like the Broncos because. Mm-hmm. Their defense is just so good that, you know, even if they kind of come into some negative game script, I mean, they're still going to, uh, I don't think they're really a team that's going to be blown out by anyone this season. And especially with Anderson kind of out, surprisingly, I think, you know, Booker's, he's going to get the majority of the reps at running back. I'm not sure who they'll mix in, maybe Capri Bibbs or somebody, but um, I, I think Booker's really a safe play this week and he's gonna be really highly owned in tournaments but you know I guess we can talk about that later when we talk about uh what to do with chalk plays Mm -hmm. uh my key stat for running backs Spencer Ware is averaging 19.7 touches per game since Jamal Charles returned three games ago and 22.7 touches since Charles and Sharkandrick West have been back uh the last two games 
I almost dropped the Chiefs running back stat for my key stat, and I switched it at the last minute. Uh, the Saints have allowed a touchdown on 6.7% of running back touches, the only team to allow a touchdown on over 6% of touches to opposing running backs. And don't have too much else on running backs. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on Devontae Freeman, though, TJ. Looks like he was held out of practice today. Due to a hip injury, um, there's questions mm-hmm. as to if that injury is even legitimate, if they're just holding him out because they plan to give him a large workload against the Packers with Tevin Coleman out. But the Packers are allowing 3.1 yards per carry. The only offense to really be able to run on them was the Cowboys with that offensive line and Ezekiel Elliott. Um, what are your feelings on Freeman this week? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if if there's an injury concern, that's something we have to take into account. I think they did call up a practice squad running back uh, this morning as well. But what it sounds like, he, he wore non, a non-contact jersey in practice. Um, I mean, just the fact that he was suited up for practice makes me think that they're going to end up playing him with Tevin Coleman out. Uh, if he is a go, I think um, given his salary uh and i think he's a little bit of a discount compared to some of the other top guys and um you can play him uh in cash but in gpps in a game where the offense is probably going to move the ball uh very efficiently and they're going to have a lot of scoring opportunities which is always really important for tournaments uh even though the run defense is, is is good for the packers um, those extra red zone and, and touches inside the 10 where Freeman already has 14 opportunities is going to make me want to roster him because of that touchdown upside. But situation to monitor, uh, if he's healthy, I think um, you can consider him in, in really any format because he is going to see so much of the work in such a high-scoring game. Yeah, and uh, I did a study in the offseason you guys might be familiar with uh, called The Effects of Injuries on Fantasy Football Player Production. And for running backs playing with a hip injury, there was really no decline in production. Um, Sample size for a lot of these specific injuries overall was small. Um, It was 30 games uh, between 2008 and 15, but no change. In fact, a 1.1% increase in production uh, when playing with a hip injury. So if Freeman is suited up, I don't think the injury will be much of a concern. But, of course, we have to stay tuned to the news to see what's going on there. From Freeman to wide receiver and Julio Jones, 9,200 on FanDuel, 9,600 on DraftKings. He's the NFL leader in receiving yards per game at 118.6. The Packers are allowing the highest amount of targets and the second highest amount of yardage to wide receiver ones per football outsiders. They're allowing 10.8 targets and 104 yards to wide receiver ones. And in small sample, but in six games at home, with an over-under of 50 or above since 2013, Julio is averaging a preposterous 158 receiving yards per game on 8.3 receptions. So love Julio in this spot. And then Randall Cobb is 6,800 on Sandal and 6,400 on DraftKings. And Cobb has drawn 37 of 142 
targets since the Packers week five bye. That's good for a 26.1% market share. And the Falcons are allowing the second most passing yards per game in the league at 294.1. Their best cornerback, Desmond Trufant, is likely to follow around Jordy Nelson, I would think. Uh, Trufant did actually follow Doug Baldwin into the slot but I still don't think that teams will view uh, Randall Cobb as more dangerous than Jordy Nelson. Um, I would think that Trufant would stay matched up on Nelson or just play his outside uh, cornerback position. So I, I think Cobb will continue to be heavily targeted. He's seen double-digit targets in every game since the bye. TJ? Yeah, we touched on my first wide receiver's quarterback already. Uh, but now I'm going to touch on the part of this offense that I really like this week, and that's the Jets and Brandon Marshall priced at $7,400 on FanDuel, $7,800 on DraftKings. Uh, since Eric Decker's been out, Brandon Marshall's averaging 10.3 targets per game with 29% of the team's uh, target share. He leads the league in red zone targets with 12. We already talked about Cleveland against the pass. Um, against wide receivers specifically, they rank 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. They are one of three teams to allow at least 10 touchdowns to opposing wide receivers. Uh, the Browns have allowed five 100-yard wide receivers this year. The volume's there for Marshall. Uh, the efficiency hasn't been there, but we know for wide receivers that could change really quick, especially with a guy like Brandon Marshall, who is arguably the best red zone target in the league. It's pretty much uh, at wide receiver. It's, it's him, Eric Decker, and Des Bryant uh, clearly above the rest of the league in terms of converting red zone looks into scores so i think this is a really good get right week for marshall um my hope is that people look at his recent performance and he goes way on their own because i'm just gonna have him everywhere this week and then another wide receiver i guess in on one side at least uh you already mentioned randall cobb He's running back on Fandle, but it's my turn to talk about the position, so I'm going to cheat and say Ty Montgomery is still a wide receiver because he is listed as such on DraftKings. He's $6,400 on Fandle, $5,300 on DraftKings, and this is just a really interesting situation because uh, he lined up primarily at running back last week. Uh, Niall Davis didn't give him much work, and uh, I mean... I, I'd imagine that he's going to get at least a fair amount of the backfield work this week, even if they work uh, Davis in. But, uh, I mean, Montgomery looked good in all aspects of the game. He saw 19 touches last week. Nine of those were rushes, double-digit targets in consecutive weeks. He had 11 red zone opportunities last week. Like, that that's a number that people, like, players don't see on the season. He saw seven targets and four rushes inside the red zone last week alone. Like, he's going to be such a big part of this offense. I like the fact that he's listed as a wide receiver on DraftKings. One, just because there aren't a lot of cheap plays at the position. And then two, you're going to get, like, you're, you're going to get running back volume at the wide receiver position. That's like the... It's like the easiest plug and play ever for me. So uh, I I like Montgomery. What are you are you using him? Are you excited about that position confusion? Like I am. Uh, I don't. Yeah. It's it's really t- like I just this is such a unique situation that I haven't fully fleshed out exactly what I'm gonna do with him, and I really have. I honestly have no idea what his ownership is going to be like. Is he going to be like a super chalk player? Is he going to go, are people going to just kind of look at it and say, I have no idea what's going on and he's going to go under owned? Like, what do you think his his ownership is going to be? I I mean, I I don't understand how, like, 
as a wide receiver that could get 10 carries, I don't know how you fade that spot, especially when there just aren't a lot of cheap wide receiver options on fan on DraftKings where there's three wide receivers and a flex position. Like, I don't know how to fade it on FanDuel. I guess that's really the question because he's basically he's priced as the 13th running back, I think. Um, but if he only sees, I mean, if he sees, I don't know. If his carries go down a little bit because of Nile Davis, it could be in a spot where he's only seen six or seven rushes and seven or eight targets. Like that's that's pretty sketchy for your your number two uh, running back where you're not playing a flex. So I guess Fanduel is the question for me. DraftKings, he's just like lock into my cash game lineups. Right. Yeah. I think on DraftKings, he's an easy play because you know you get that full point for per reception so i mean even if he gets you know five catches and you know some rushing yards whatever he, he's in a good spot but on on dra- on fanduel yeah it, it's kind of there's a lot up in the air especially with now booker opening up um i think you know there's a lot of other kind of jaquiz rogers is what 200 more expensive um so I, he's not my favorite running back play but yeah i like him a lot more as a wide receiver getting a full point uh per reception yeah I, I wouldn't ignore those 11 red zone opportunities yeah. for Fanduel, though i mean that's that's in that's an insane number yeah oh definitely it's i, I mean i don't even what 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 a game you know like <laughs> yeah. what did they i think aaron Rodgers set a career high in completions you know 11 red zone target uh, opportunities for montgomery just a just a Devonte adams went nuts like nuts. that's and that and that's what you know, that I guess that's what worries me about even a little bit about Cobb, honestly, it's just like where does you know, all of a sudden there's so many mouths to feed, like you mm-hmm. know, like Aaron Rodgers isn't gonna throw fifty six times every week. I don't think. I mean maybe he will. Um I kinda I actually uh G chatted John Paulson a little before the, the last week's Packers game because I know he's a Packers fan and just essentially asking him like, are they gonna go super pass heavy? Um, cause I, that's what I, I kind of thought was going to happen. So, I mean, with, with these running backs still banged up, they, they might do so again. Um, and the over under is certainly, uh, favorable for that situation to occur again. So, I mean, I do like him. Um, FanDuel, I, he's probably a GPP only play for me. DraftKings, mm-hmm. I'd play him in cash. Uh, and then it's interesting cause you actually, let's go back to Brandon Marsh for a second. So, um, in cash games, would you play Marshall over Mike Evans? Uh, I wouldn't play him over him. Uh, I just I I wanted to mention Marshall here because I I really love these spots. Players coming off of a bad couple weeks, but uh, no, I think Evans is probably. If we consider Price, Evans is probably my number one wide receiver this week. Okay, if yeah, we consider price, because I was so I was so sure that you were gonna write uh, that you were gonna talk about Mike Evans in the podcast that I changed my key stat. <laughs> like I, my key stat was gonna be that the Raiders have allowed seven one hundred yard games to wide receivers already this season. Um, but I was sure <laughs> like you were gonna mention that with uh, with Evans, but then you didn't. So I guess that's my key stat. But I'll just mention the one I pivoted to, which was. Since 2015, T.Y. Hilton averages 92 yards per game and .64 touchdowns per game at home compared to just 67 yards and .17 touchdowns on the road. And, you know, sometimes in these situations, you know, it's just a 
just a little over a year of data, so it could be a small sample. But with a guy like T.Y. Hilton, his his whole career, he's actually had plus home splits. And usually with these fast receivers, you see that when they're playing at home, uh, indoors on these fast tracks, um, these guys tend to do better. Um, you see this with Brandon Cooks as well. So I think T.Y. Hilton is really interesting this week, especially given the fact that you can also get Andrew Luck uh, so cheap to pair him with. Yeah, let me just reiterate that before I get any Twitter backlash. Uh, Mike Evans is my number one wide receiver this week in DFS if you consider price. So I'm not saying play Brandon Marshall over him. Uh, my key stat of the week is about the Carolina Panthers defense. They have allowed nine passing touchdowns from outside the red zone this year. That's the most in the league. No other teams allowed more than seven. Let's see. What do we have? Uh, Doug Baldwin against the Saints. How you feeling about that? How you feeling about the Seahawks offense uh, in general, uh, particularly Baldwin? Uh, this is this is one of those spots that is like this is why there's an edge in DFS because the Saints are a really good matchup and Seattle's offense is looking really really bad and you got to figure out which way to go with it. Um, my feeling about this right now is that. So much of the Seattle passing game has been predicated on Russell Wilson's ability to extend the play, get outside the pocket, rush, get his rushing yards, um, and find wide receivers getting open uh, late in the play. They don't have that ability right now, so it makes it really hard for me to invest in any of their passing options, even in a really positive matchup. So I I, I just can't see myself... Um, investing in, in their passing game yet i think they're gonna smash it i, I think yeah I, yeah I, I i mean i know russell wilson he can't move around and that's really been hindering him i think he's got 22 rushing yards or something on this season and he also hasn't been like you said extending plays but russell wilson probably more than any of the other mobile quarterbacks has shown that he can um, yeah. pass from the pocket and i just think in this game, I mean, the Saints just lost uh, another cornerback, Sterling Moore. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to start B.W. Webb, Ken Crawley. I, I mean, I think even Jermaine Curse might get open in this game. Um, you know, I think that's how I, – I just I just think that their receivers are going to be running open. I mean, I, they usually don't, you know – I mean, Jimmy Graham is – he's been playing a lot better. I think he adds an element. He help, It helps to have Jimmy Graham playing at that level if Russell Wilson – is going to be relegated to the pocket. Um, and I just think, you know, I think Kristen Michael's running well enough. I think the Seahawks offense will, they'll do fine. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think, again, I don't, I'm interested to see what the ownership's going to be because they're, you know, it's kind of one of those, I think the Packers-Falcons game is going to be kind of the popular game of the week. And I think a lot of people are going to be on the Bucks because of last week. So, I mean, especially if, if I can get some some of this Seahawks um, offense at a lower ownership than would usually be against the Saints. And I think he has some added benefit because they're in New Orleans too. So if they were mm-hmm. in Seattle, I think if they're in Seattle, I think it would be maybe more of a defensive game where, um, you know, Drew Brees would probably struggle, but I- I'm willing, I'm willing to, to roster pretty much any member of the Seattle offense it, in GPPs. I don't think I'd play any of them in cash um, because you mm-hmm. don't need to, but um, yeah, I think I'm a little more uh, bullish than you are. Mm-hmm. 
Um, let's move to tight end. CJ Fedorowicz. Never thought I'd be talking about him this season, but he's the top projected value on both Fanduel and DraftKings by four for four. He's forty nine hundred on Fanduel, twenty eight hundred on DraftKings. The Detroit Lions are 29th in tight end, schedule adjusted, fantasy points allowed, two tight ends, and Fedorowicz has seen seven or more targets in three straight games, and he's caught four or more passes in four straight games, scored two touchdowns over his last four games. So, you know, at tight end, and we've talked about this before, I really like paying down as much as possible, especially in cash games and tournaments. I think there's some merit to spending up if you can nail the highest scorer of the week, you know, because you can usually make up for what, even if the value doesn't, um, the multiplier isn't great, you can still make up for that because you have so many running backs and wide receivers to work with. But um, really like Fedorowicz um, for cash to kind of just as a punt play. Um, great matchup against the Lions. We saw Vernon Davis catch six, seven balls against them for about 80 yards last week. So like Fedorowicz this week, TJ. Yeah. Um, I like paying down at, at tight end, especially in, uh, cash games, especially this year where tight end is just kind of a dumpster fire. Um, just a volatile position, but if you do want to go the other way a little bit, I really like Travis Kelsey, probably, because I'm a glutton for punishment, and I just keep going back to this Chiefs offense somehow, and I don't know why. But uh, $5,700 on FanDuel, $4,900 on DraftKings. The Colts allow over 15 schedule-adjusted fantasy points per game to the tight end position. Uh, last in football outsiders, adjusted yards per game, uh, which is more of a fantasy metric than their DVOA. Uh, 30% of the Chiefs' red zone targets have gone to Travis Kelsey. He has five targets inside the 10-yard line. A lot of that came in one game, but there should be a game where they have uh, some added red zone opportunities. Kansas City passes almost 60% of the time in the red zone. Teams pass almost 60% of the time against the Colts in the red zone. So if and when they do get near the goal line, um, should be some passing, hopefully to Kelsey. And Kansas City has 26.25 implied point total. So uh, more reason to believe that they'll be inside the, the red zone and near the goal line more often than usual. Yeah, I love Kelsey as a tournament play this week. I, Kelsey is really the only member of the Chiefs passing game I'm ever interested in. You know, I, I just Alex Smith. You know, he'll have one of his games every once in a while, but you know, he's I think he has what six three hundred yard games in his career. Mm-hmm. And then Jeremy Macklin, he's playing a slot more this year, and that seems to be killing his yard per catch average and capping his yardage upside and he never really had a lot of upside i think most of his big games last year came when the chiefs were in catch-up mode he had a couple of Mm -hmm. 150 yard games where they were throwing a lot more than they usually do so yeah it's usually the the chiefs play from the inside out they're going to involve their running backs and they're going to involve uh the tight end so i do like kelsey this week probably won't have too much ownership um key stat staying in kansas city since safety Eric Berry of the Chiefs was drafted in 2010, the Chiefs have been uh, in the top six fewest fantasy points allowed to tight ends. 
uh, every single year but one, and that was 2011, and they still allowed the ninth fewest uh, that year. Um, they've allowed the – and they have also had three uh, top two finishes in terms of allowing the fewest points to tight end. So that's something to think about if you're thinking of uh, doubling up on Jack Doyle this week after his big game. My key stat is – that Jason Witten has seen 36% of Dallas's red zone targets, but he hasn't converted any of his red zone targets into a touchdown. Let's go to uh, kicker. Who you got, TJ? Kicker, uh, if I have to pick one guy, I'm going with Cairo Santos at $4,600. Uh, Chiefs are two-and-a-half-point favorites, 50-point over-under, 26.25 implied total. He will be kicking indoors. Should be a lot of scoring. Should be a lot of kicking opportunities with no elements to battle. Definitely. Uh, defense, going with the Jets. I don't really like a lot of defenses this week, um, but going with the Jets, 3.5 uh, spread on the road is a favorite. And I like the fact that they have a really good run defense. They're allowing 3.2 yards per carry and 741 Rushing yards per game, both second in the NFL. And what that means is it might force the Browns into more passing situations than they like to be in. And I think that's a good situation. The Browns have already gone through so many quarterbacks. And so many quarterbacks have gotten injured for the Browns. And what that means is that the Browns quarterbacks have been getting hit. And that's something that I always want uh, to look for for my fantasy defense. So I think the Jets' defense is, you know, they clearly are struggling on the back end. But... Uh, I think they're probably not as bad of a defense as you know we think they are because they have played a really rough schedule to open the season. I think the Browns, um, I think they'll be able to to do well against the Browns. They put up double digit fantasy points against the Ravens last week. Yeah, I mean, I like the thing about the Browns. Like, this is why I always am hesitant to talk talent or real football with people because like we're playing a game that ex- we're, we're trying to exploit the rules of this game right so you don't necessarily need the best uh team or best defense or best player to score a lot of fantasy points and i'm going to use a, a an outlier to highlight my my point which can be a little bit dangerous but we saw it last week um with the chargers they gave up a ton of points and they were a really good fantasy defense because they got turnovers and scored so if you can force a team to throw a bunch like the jets will even if they're not good, even if they end up giving up 28 points, they can still put up a lot of points on the board as a fantasy defense. Yeah, definitely. I think fantasy defenses, that's true more than anything. You know, a lot of happenstance events could, you know, a lot of times fantasy defenses score just from other teams' mistakes. And every team Mm -hmm. is going to make mistakes because every team is human. I mean, you know, we see it out of, you know, we'll see, you'll see it out of Aaron Rodgers where he'll fumble. You know, we'll see it out of anybody. So it really, you know, you can, we, we try to look at these matchups and these Vegas point spreads to give us the best idea of what defenses are in the best spots. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of luck involved uh, in choosing your fantasy defense. So the best you can do is kind of just go by, go by the data, especially for your cash games, and just, you know, try to get a, get a favorite playing against a, a poor opponent. I think the, the, the position, would you say, would you agree that I think wide receiver is probably a position where you're looking for talent the most? Yeah, um, wide receiver and wide receiver and I guess and quarterbacks probably a close second, but I think uh, running back, tight end, kicker, defense are all way way behind. Like we know what if a wide receiver's 
dominant. Like we've seen it before. Like Vegas implied totals, uh, over unders, uh, matchups. Like none of that matters if Julio Jones. Uh, it doesn't matter who he's playing against. He he can have a big day. Definitely. Uh, okay, so let's get into our DFS theory segment. We're going to talk about chalk plays, and I think this is a really interesting topic to talk about and something that I, I tend to think a lot about because, you know, having been doing doing this uh, fantasy thing for a few years now, you know, I, I have a, a pretty good handle on it from a data perspective in terms of what I need to be looking for. You know, and what what are the predictive indicators of success for players in different situations? But uh, we we can't forget that DFS is a game in which we are playing against opponents like ourselves. So I think it's a very not only crucial aspect, but also pretty fascinating aspect to try to figure out how our opponents are going to play us and that that really just comes through in the in, in the form of ownership and how highly our player is going to be owned and you know even the prospect of a, a player being highly owned like how is that going to affect ownership because sometimes i think what happens is you know all all the dfs sites you know are, are starting to come out with these ownership projections or and so you know, people are seeing that, and I think that influences ownership to where sometimes a guy is projected to be low owned, and then people see that, and then you know they decide to own him on Sunday, and then he's not low owned, or vice versa. And you know, I think it's really relevant. I mean, it's the NFL is just so different. If any of the listeners out there have played other sports like NBA, the the main NBA slate kicked off tonight, and I haven't even checked yet. I don't think. Well, I don't think the game has started yet, but um, or maybe it did. I'm not sure what time the the Thunder game starts but i'm really curious to go check um after we record what russell westbrook's ownership is because in the nba tournaments it's you know russell westbrook is the most expensive player on the slate and yet he'll be owned 60 70 percent of the time and if you fade him usually have no chance um so it's totally different in the nfl where because of the volatility um these chalk plays really have a a higher uh, a really higher chance to bust so i mean i i I don't know. How do you think? What do you kind of constitute a chalk play, TJ? I, I usually think about it when when a when a guy starts to approach about twenty percent ownership. That's usually when I start to consider him a chalk play. Um, what what ownership level is it for you, TJ? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it it varies by position and week a little bit. I mean, there there's going to be weeks where uh, it's going to be spread out a little bit more evenly. So, uh, I mean, a uh, a chalk plate could be the 15% on guy at running back. Um, but yeah, in general, that, that 20% mark at quarterback, it's more anything close to like double digit ownership, yeah, yeah. Uh, just cause it's spread out more evenly. Like you almost never see a 20% on quarterback. Um, so uh, right around 10% for those quarterbacks, uh, running back, like that 20% mark wide receiver, kind of the same tight end is a little bit lower threshold as well, just because, uh, there just is very rarely, a just a guy that's in such a great spot as a tight end that is his ownership should elicit a 20% ownership. Sometimes we'll see it, but I think that's a really big inefficiency to exploit. Cause I don't think it should ever be that high for a tight end. Um, but you, that that's kind of the numbers that I'm looking at, but it's, it's hard to pinpoint. It's kind of like everything with DFS. There's a little bit of feel to it, kind of gauging the crowd and, and the other touts and, trying to figure out what, what they're doing and looking at Thursdays and whatnot. But, um, I mean, that's another thing, depending on, on the slate, the chalk's going to be way different. Uh, a Thursday slate 
Thursday players and a Thursday slate are going to be chalkier. Um, so I guess we're just talking about relatively higher ownership, but it varies by week for me. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up. It varies by slate. Like, if you're playing these smaller slates, obviously, there are going to be times where guys are 70, 80, 90 even percent owned, and that's going to be perfectly normal, and that's not even a reason to think about fading a guy if, you know, he's mm-hmm. the only option. Um, so we'll, we'll get into kind of when we play these guys, when we fade these guys, but I wanted to talk about something that I think kind of the underlying aspect of just why we even care about chalk plays in general, which is... The in tournaments, you know, you need that differentiation obviously to win. You know, you can't have the same guys as everyone else and expect to finish first in a field of a few thousand or a few hundred thousand. So, I think people struggle with the fear of missing out. I think that's what it comes down to with chalk plays. And the fear of missing out is exactly what it sounds like. You're afraid that others are going to benefit from something that you choose to um, forego and you're going to miss out on the benefits. And so I think it's important to, before you even decide which how to treat chalk plays in tournament, it's important to kind of put some data behind it and just to kind of help yourself get over that fear of missing out. Because if not, you're going to play these chalk plays all the time. And that's definitely not the answer, especially in tournaments. Um, in cash games, usually chalk plays, um, for the most part, make sense. Just because they're chalk plays for a reason. And they're usually great dollar per point values or whatnot. So in cash games, I think, you know, I don't really think too much about the chalk plays of anything, you know. If there's a, a super chalky play, especially if he's cheap, you know, sometimes that might even make me a little more likely to, to play a guy if, mm-hmm. as long as I think he's all right, because, you know, it's not too much risk there, but there's a lot more risk if I, if he hits and I, I don't have him in my lineup. But with that being said, um, I looked at a, I, I measured the bust rates of chalk plays. And again, like TJ mentioned, this is very arbitrary in terms of the cutoffs to use and whatnot. So I use some, some very rough cutoffs of 20% ownership for regardless of position. Um, and then I looked at uh, big games, and I defined a big game as 25 points uh, for quarterback, running back, wide receiver um, on FanDuel DraftKings, and then 20 points for tight ends. Um, might be a little high for tight ends, but um, just kind of just kind of trying to get a, a, a decent cutoff and looking for the, these, these high scorers and seeing how often they bust. Because a lot of times I think – uh, a reason that chalk plays are so alluring is because they are usually great dollar per point values. But remember, in tournaments, you're looking for raw points. Like uh, a dollar per point value, a great dollar per point value doesn't always help you. Um, it can help you, but if there is, if there's going to be another player, or other players that are going to just outscore them in raw points that are also readily available. I mean. It, it, you're going to be able to, to 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 fade the chalk plays and and still and still do do just fine and, and get a lot more differentiation. So with that being said, uh, the bust rates for uh, chalk plays at quarterback. Remember, this is this is just hitting 25 or more points on DraftKings. The bust rate was 54 percent, and that was the lowest of any position or any site. And then on FanDuel, the bust rate was 72 percent for running backs. Uh, hitting 25 points, the bust rate on FanDuel, 83%, and same on DraftKings, 83%. Uh, 
uh, at wide receiver, the bust rate on DraftKings was 73%, and on FanDuel, the bust rate was 83, 86%, excuse me. And then at tight end, and this is going to be skewed. I, even though I, I lowered the, the threshold to 20 points uh, for tight ends, um, it's still hard for tight ends to hit 20 points. So the bust rate uh, was 86% on DraftKings, which was the highest of all positions. And then on FanDuel, uh, the bust rate was 100%. Um, and this is just using data um, from our friends over at Fantasy Lab for ownership. Um, they have it, I think it's going back to 2014, so I looked at every player they have ownership for um, going back to 2014. There are some play, there were some players um, in the sample that they just didn't have ownership listed for, so I couldn't include that sample. So I don't, this sample is not necessarily a, a full sample, so I think that's why that tight end um, on FanDuel is 100%. I'm sure there have been some tight ends um, at 20 plus percent ownership to score 20 or more points but um i guess for whatever reason they they didn't have they weren't able to uh input the ownership data for those guys but in general you you can just see that you know 80 percent or more of chalk plays are are busting on, on these sites and 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 this is it's important to keep this in context. Now, these these bus rates are still lower than they would be if you just were selecting players at random. And so, you know, ownership does correlate to ownership does in general correlate to to fantasy points overall, but what you're looking for in a tournament is you're looking for that you just need that one lineup you need to create a one lineup that you know is going to be differentiated and with that being said i think that's why it's important to keep these bus rates in mind because it'll just help you to, to really put in context just how unlikely it is for any player to really score a high amount of points but so even if it's a, a highly owned player um it should give you a little more comfort in in fading some of these guys in certain spots um, so TJ, um, what are your thoughts kind of on those numbers? And I know there's certain, you know, positions and price ranges where you're, 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 you're more willing to, to roster chalk. I, I think those bus rates overall, and we'll get into position by position in a little bit, but I think overall they, they just kind of highlight that, um, what football is fantasy football is as a whole it's just such an unpredictable sport on a week-to-week level that like we don't have any stone cold locks in football so i think that uh people build lineups as if their projections or whatever projections they're using um aren't fragile when when in reality they're extremely fragile i mean a couple points uh, either way, it makes makes your projections really different. If you're building GPP lineups off those projections, you're really getting into trouble. Now, uh, we should mention that what we're talking about here is mostly based around GPPs um, because that's the those are the situations where uh, you want to be thinking about if you should be fading the chalk or not. And like you mentioned, I think people just really have a a uh, a fear of of not not hitting on that player, but I think in in GPPs, even if you're only playing five lineups, um, it's just really bad to have a hundred a hundred percent exposure to any player because he can just that single player can ruin your whole week. Um, you know, even if it is a, a Jacquez Rogers last week or something like that, uh, just going into your lineup building knowing like, okay, I think he's going to be fifty percent owned. Uh, if you have sixty five percent. If you haven't been 65% of your lineups, you're still um, higher on him compared to the rest of the field. So you're still uh, taking on more risk than than the average would. 
So I think people need to consider that. And one one thing I do want to say before we get too deep into these uh, GPP talks and, and where to avoid chalk and where not to avoid it, there is a really specific situation in cash games where you can avoid the chalk, and it's pretty rare because it's pretty. It's not often that public completely misses on a a projection this badly, but um, there are once in a while instances where you're playing all head to heads, and you have I don't know, especially like a wide receiver or a tight end, you have two players at a volatile position projected very closely to each other, and for whatever reason. Um, it might be the uh, equally good matchup, but but the public's just way higher on one of those guys. If you're playing exclusively head-to-heads, um, that could be a situation to to uh, fade the chalk and go with the lesser-owned guy. But you have to be really confident in what you're looking at and that the matchup is as close as you think it is and uh, the situation is equally good. Um, but once in a while, you, you can leverage that in cash games if you are only playing head-to-heads. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. You know, we we've talked about this a, a few times on the podcast, but in in head to head games, which I think are preferable, um, two fifty fifties and double ups in terms of cash games. If, if you're really trying to play cash games to mitigate your risk, um, is you you can use that additional upside in head to heads. You know, the more upside, the more points you score, the higher your winning percentage will be in head to head. So I think that that is really. Uh, a great point and um yeah. oh sorry go ahead no go ahead no i was just gonna say that you know i think in terms of chalk plays the way you have to think about it too is in tournaments even last week with a guy like quiz rogers you, where he scored he scored 20.3 DraftKings points at a salary of 4300 there were nine running backs who scored higher than him and you know there was there was Jay Ajayi at at 31.6 points at only 200 more Jeremy Hill scored 30.2 points so that's 10 more points at a salary of $300 less and you had LeGarrette Blunt um at 4900 29.4 points so if you paid an extra 600 you got like an extra nine points so even you know even though Quiz Rogers was in the winning millionaire maker lineup um, that's more to do with the fact that there were just so many people playing Quiz Rogers. So I, I think that's an important thing to mention too. Is that when we, we will start to get into you know seeing these chalk plays and these winning lineups and things like that, but it's important to realize that there's a selection bias there where a lot of times you you see these chalk plays in these in these good lineups just because there a lot of DSFS players just aren't skilled enough to create contrarian lineups that do well and I think that's that's really what it comes down to with chalk is balancing you know that the the predictability of these chalk plays with needing that differentiation um to win a tournament yeah and I I think that what that concept really highlights is just um what you're talking about is is how poor people are at just general uh, forecasting and, and, and prediction models. Um, the reason we see some of the reason we often see a lot of these chalk plays and winning lineups is just because um, of the the disproportionate amount of people that are going with a single method. Um, that method's going to have more opportunity to win out. So if you just think about it from an extreme example, if 
100% of lineups play, we'll stick with Jacquez Rogers. Jacquez Rogers, uh, that line, a lineup with Jacquez Rogers is going to win the tournament. That doesn't mean that's the optimal play. Right. Um, so I think that's where people really start to have this big fear of missing out because there's, they're like, oh, well, well, no lineup has won um, without a chalk play. Well, that doesn't mean that's the optimal opportunity. That could just mean that's what a vast majority of people are doing and not avoiding a chalk play. Um, maybe the optimal thing to do is to not play any chalk in the Millie Maker. We just haven't seen it win yet because only one out of half a million lineups are doing it. So, um, yeah, people, uh, I think that's just where people really get lost in the, the, the correlation and the causation. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it was something I mentioned. The way I like to put it is this, you know, if if you're especially if you're playing a tournament like the Millie Maker, because as we me and TJ have talked about when you're playing in these smaller tournaments, you can you can take a more value based approach and, and kind of a couple of well-placed contrarian plays will usually help you a lot. But in a tournament like the Millie Maker, where there's 250,000 entrants. You have to think of it like if a guy is 25% owned, you know, he's going to be like, sure, if he hits, that's great. But you're still going to be competing with 60,000 other people for the perfect mm-hmm. lineup with that player. So let's say, you know, Jaquist Rogers was the highest scoring running back of the week. Well, now, you know, that's really what kind of what he would have to be. You know, even if he, if he even if he's cheap, you know, you, you kind of really in certain situations, you know, you need that and. You know, the, the guy who won the Millie Maker with Jaquiz Rogers, you know, it was a great lineup that he put around. It. And it was one of the more chalky weeks um, just so happened to be. And I think that in itself is going to be interesting because I think because the chalk hit so big last week, I'm sure a lot of novice DFS players had good weeks as well last week. And I think mm-hmm. that might lead to some overconfidence this week in the field with chalk plays. So I'm kind of eager to to take advantage of that a little bit but yeah in these in these large tournaments i mean i think i think it's fine if you're if you're kind of on the higher side of the the entry sphere like if you're entering close to the max 150 lineups then you know sure i think you know have your you know have your whatever 25% exposure to rogers and your 25% exposure to julio and all that but if you only have Let's say you're only entering, you know, a hundred bucks of Millie Maker lines per week. It it doesn't make as much sense to really roster these these chalk plays because you're you're competing with so many other mm-hmm. lineups that it, you know it, it might be better to just take your shot. You know, if you're entering five Millie Maker lineups a week uh, for sixteen weeks, that's about eighty lineups. It might make sense if you have eighty lineups over the course of a season or eighty five. It might make sense to just go pretty contrarian with all eighty-five of those lineups and just you know try to try to try to tackle it that way. You know, and that's what I try to tell yeah. people. It's like nobody has uh, you have to you have to play with what you, with what you are working with. So if you're if you're working with a, a lower bankroll and less entries, then you know you enter a guy in one of five lineups, you're already at twenty percent, and there's not many guys in a week that are going to be owned at 20% or more. Mm-hmm. So right there, you know, if, if you're rostering any of those chalk plays, you know, it's it's kind of going to be difficult. Whereas, you know, for, for some of the guys that are entering 150 lineups, it makes a lot more sense to just to just kind of wait their their plays uh, 
according to the field and, and say, okay, well, I expect Rodgers to be in 30%. Maybe I'm going to go 25%, you know, or something like that. So I think it, it really does come down to what you are working with in terms of your bankroll. Yeah, and, and like you're talking about, uh, if you are on, or even if you're not on, on that limited roller or limited number of bullets, uh, another thing to consider is just like how much chalk there is in a week. Sometimes there just aren't that many plays that are very obvious. Other weeks, like last week, uh, there's just a ton of really obvious plays that are, are going to be uh, not only the highest owned, but really high owned compared to, to the other players. And I think those are, those, are, those are the opportunities where it's a really good idea to get off the chalk altogether because that not only are you going to get unique players, it's going to let you have really unique lineup construction. So last week we saw um, a couple cheap running backs, really expensive wide receivers. It worked out really well, but it lets you have an opportunity to come up with this lineup construction that nobody else was going to have. If you had a roster full of mid-price guys last week, mid-price wide receivers and running backs, you had a really unique lineup. It didn't work out. But I'd contend that I would go right back next week and do it again because you're leveraging those plays so, so much. Whereas if there's just one obvious play, like, yeah, you're going to leverage off that one play, but you're, you might or might not have give yourself a unique roster construction. Um, but that, that's another thing to think about. Definitely. And something else that we've talked about on this pod is make sure you play a cash game lineup in a tournament. And... <laughs> yeah. and and also, this is, I mean, I know not everybody plays cash games and tournaments, but I know a lot of people do play both. And, you know, I think th- it can help because when you're playing cash games, you're probably rostering a, a bunch of chalk plays. So, like, for example, last week, you know, I didn't do great in tournaments, but I crushed it in cash because, mm-hmm. you know, I had all the right guys and I and, and I put my cash game lineup in tournaments, which also crushed it. So, and I believe uh, 4 for 4 is Joe Holka. He was telling me, actually, that he qualified for the 4 for 4 championship with his cash game lineup. So, yeah. you know, if you're doing that, if you're playing your cash game lineups and then you're playing in a tournament and, and you're you're playing heavier cash you're going to be fine because in tournaments you're going to be better off going contrarian because number one it's going to you know if if your cash game lineup bombs then that means the chalk probably bombed which means you'll be in a good spot playing contrarian players in tournaments and if your cash game lineup and the chalk hits you're going to do well too because you have you're, you're going to crush it in cash and your uh your cash game lineup is probably going to do really well in tournaments so you can put it in a single entry or something like that if you don't want to contend with all the multi-entry or you can do both whatever but um i think that's another way to kind of get over the fear of missing out playing too many chalk plays in these tournaments sure um so if if uh we can i'm just going to quickly go through um some of these positions and give some some quick rules of thumb that that i've found um for going with or avoiding the chalk sure go ahead uh, so one of the, the spots that, and this is going to cover some top po- topics that we've talked about, uh, both in our articles and on the podcast, but, um, I've never seen it, uh, quantified 
or articulated quite like Jonathan Bales did it in his most recent book. So uh, I just went through his uh, book, Fantasy Football for Smart People, Hidden Psychology of Winning DFS. And in the second half of that book, he really gets into ownership percentage, uh, breaks down by, by position, and it ties really closely into what we're talking about here and when you might want to go with the chalk and when you might want to fade it. Um, so shout out to Bales. Um, and these are just some of the, some of the highlights that, that I took from that book. So um, at quarterback, what we've seen traditionally is that uh, ownership of quarterbacks tends to increase with uh, with the spread, the team total, the over-under, but the value has an inverse relationship um, outside of games with the biggest spread, spreads of 10 points or more. Um, so basically, teams that are favored more, teams that uh, have higher implied point totals, their uh, their quarterbacks are going to be higher owned in DFS. But quarterbacks that are, are slight underdogs or have slightly lower implied point totals than than those guys at the top um, are going to exceed value almost as often as, as other quarterbacks, but the ownership is going to be much lower. So you have a really good uh, chance to leverage that by by taking um, some slight guys in slightly um, less less uh, positive situations, but uh, you leverage the ownership. At running back, the the market tends to be a lot more efficient. So uh, basically, uh, people have a, a really good read on where the running back value is going to come from. So uh, from a position position standpoint, uh, this is probably the best spot to stay on the chuck because it's going to be the least volatile, easiest to predict. Uh, we're really good at spotting these blow up games for running back. So. Uh, all things being equal, staying on the chalk at running back makes sense, with the one exception being uh, pass-catching running backs when they're going to be in a game that's still relatively close. Uh, for wide receivers, we see a lot of times we see the chalk come because not necessarily of matchup, but because they've been doing really, really well lately, the overachievers. And if that is the case, if the reason that a uh, uh, wide receiver is chalky is simply because he's done really good lately and there's nothing in that particular week to point to him having another good game uh, outside of his recent performance and that's a really good spot to fade the chalk and target uh, players that have recently underperformed at the wide receiver position assuming that their volume is similar and by volume i mean market share not just uh target numbers because it is a position that is very volatile from week to week and you're going to get those underachievers that see the same volume um at a depressed ownership and uh if a if a player is uh, head and shoulders above the competition, and by competition I mean similarly price price players. So if there is just a wide receiver, maybe um, Antonio Brown is just in a, a phenomenal matchup. Every other wide receiver has a bad matchup, and he's been the only wide receiver getting 30% of the targets. Um, then you might be a little more inclined to stay on the chalk. At tight end, um, ownership over um, the the long term is kind of all over the place for tight ends, except for some pretty rare matchup stats. Like if a team's just facing a, a really bad defense, like if they're they're facing say the Lions this year, we might see some uh, some increased ownership. So just kind of sticking to to red zone market share, looking at position specific numbers like adjusted fantasy points allowed, um, and not playing 100% of any tight end, just kind of spreading out your shares evenly and letting the the, your exposure kind of take care of itself, not worrying so much about uh, being overweight or underweight based on projected ownership uh, will will kind of let you um, uh, be be safer with your tight ends because it is so volatile. So overall, I'm just kind of thinking about chalk. Um, 
position by position and also trying to be uh, price sensitive when I'm deciding if I'm going to play chalk or not. Yeah, those are some great points. Um, that book by Jonathan Bales is really great. I encourage all you guys to check it out, uh, Fantasy Football for Smart People. The whole series is really excellent, actually. Um, and I think that I think a really strong point is that at running back is probably the best position to stay on the chalk. That's something that I kind of do uh, on a weekly basis. I don't really worry too much about ownership at running back, especially at the cheaper at the cheaper end of it. Um, you know, as much now that doesn't mean that I'm I'm just gonna you know have a hundred percent of a guy, but you know I'm I'm more willing to be you know level with the field or or overweight on a chalk play at running back, which I really don't do that as much at, at the other positions, except maybe quarterback, because, you know, if I'm, I'm usually choosing, you know, I have about five, six quarterbacks in a given week that I'm going to really have exposure to in tournaments. So that automatically, you know, gets me over, overweight to the field on pretty much all of them. Um, but running back, I don't, I don't think you have to worry as much just because like TJ said, it is very predictable. And one thing I wanted to mention with, in regards to just, looking at chalk plays and and how it relates to roster construction is you have to remember that it's not just to look at it um in each position but overall so for example last week um on DraftKings you had Matt Ryan I believe was 7200 Rob Gronkowski was 7200 and DeMarco Murray was 7200 um so Mm -hmm. you had three players kind of in that price range that at different positions, but all projected for high ownership, uh, pretty much the highest ownership at their position. So, you know, just looking at that in terms of roster construction, again, it it comes down to just trying to figure out what your opponents are going to do and then try to leverage off that and see how you can get an edge on them. And, you know, one thing that came to mind was like, okay, so pretty much, uh, you know, almost all rosters are going to have a player that costs seven, you know, around 7,200. And, you know, sometimes you can just get an edge like that in roster construction by just looking at it, not just uh, on a position by position basis and trying to pivot, you know, off one, off a, a guy at a similar price point, but just trying to pivot off an entire price point in roster mm-hmm. construction itself. I think that's something that's really kind of, it, it didn't, I don't think it really worked out last week, but it has worked out for me at, at numerous times in the past. And mm-hmm. I, I know, I think it was the week before last or maybe two weeks before when I uh, was looking at the winning Millie Maker lineup on DraftKings and, and the winning Sunday Million lineup on FanDuel. Like, they both had really interesting roster construction where they didn't go too high in salary and they didn't go too low. So they had all these players kind of in these mediocre price tiers, which was a lot different than the majority of lineups, which paid up somewhere. Cause I think, you know, even when you read a lot of D, uh, DFS content, sometimes, you know, you see things like, you know, who are you going to choose to pay up for? And, and it, it kind mm-hmm. of, it almost kind of goes without saying that like, you, you know, people are kind of directed to pay up somewhere. Like, are you going to pay, are you going to pay, you know, 8k for this quarterback and this wide receiver? Are you going to play 8k for this running back? and Gronk or like you know like what there when in reality sometimes you just want to pivot off an entire price point and just doing that you can you're not really sacrificing too much value but you can get a really unique roster construction which can help you in tournaments and uh what are you going to say something TJ no I was just I, I love those points I think if you can uh if, if you pay attention to what uh, a pivot's going to do to your entire lineup, that's probably one of the most underrated parts of, of fading the chalk. If you're just going to fade for someone that's um, a similar price point and it's not really going to change your overall roster construction, that might be a, a reason to stay on the chalk. Whereas if you're going to pivot to someone way more expensive or way cheaper and it's going to change your overall lineup, 
uh, might push you to, to, to fade the chalk a little more. Right, because, you know, what's the whole reason we use all this data? It's to figure out that, okay, hey, if there's two wide receivers that, you know, cost $7,800 and one has a much better projection than the others, then that's what we do all the work for to tell us to play mm-hmm. that guy. So, yeah, a lot of times when you're pivoting, maybe pivot to a whole different price one. Maybe pivot down lower. Like, that's – like, if you're – if you – think a chalk play that is expensive is overrated then a lot of times it makes sense to pay down at that position you mm-hmm. know, or something like that so that's really important to keep in mind like tj said i think the time to really spend uh to when you can pivot straight up is when there are two players and they're similar in value but since one is a slightly better value um people are just on that player more and i guess we'll close up uh just talking about the going back to some of the winning lineups and again like i said this is this is going to have a lot of selection bias because a lot of people are just rostering are constructing the same type of lineup so you know take these take this data with kind of a grain of salt or and take it also as just a way to kind of some insight into overall lineup construction in general but on DraftKings, the overall ownership in, and this is going back to week one of 2015. I've been keeping track of these winning lineups. So there were 23 DraftKings Millie Maker lineups and 24 FanDuel Sunday Million lineups. The average ownership per roster slot on FanDuel was 11.8%, and the average overall ownership in per roster slot on DraftKings was 14.2%. So right away that tells you that there's a little more ownership in the winning lineups on DraftKings, a little more chalk being played. And that a lot of times is just due to the fact that you have that flex spot. And when you have that flex spot, you can fit in an extra running back or a wide receiver. So that's that probably explains that. Um, but here's the interesting thing and kind of goes back to what me and TJ were talking about earlier. The average highest owned running back on in a DraftKings winning Millie Maker lineup is 26.5%. And then the average wide receiver, highest owned wide receiver, excuse me, is 28%. So right there you see that chalk plays are in these winning lineups. So you take that how how you want to take it. Um, what, what I think it says is that a lot of people are rostering at least one chalk play, and you can usually get away with it because essentially the field isn't skilled enough yet to be able to construct lineups of pretty much non-chalk and be able to construct a tournament winning lineup so that doesn't mean it can't be done but just not enough people are attempting it and the people that are attempting it have not been successful yet so take that how you want to take it you can take it a lot of different ways um and then just some more data here uh two or more 20 percent owned running backs appeared uh 27% of the time so about one in every four lineups they had two running backs at two or more running backs at 20 percent owned um at wide receiver you had two or more 20 percent owned wide receivers and 26 percent of lineups but you had at least one 20 percent owned wide receiver and 74 percent of lineups so three out of every four um quarterbacks there were no 20 percent owned quarterbacks but that's because quarterback ownership tends to be flat in general so at quarterback on in DraftKings, winning a millie maker lineups 22% were in double digits. So about one in every five were in double digits, but there aren't really many quarterbacks in a given week that will be in double digits. So I, quarterback is another position where I don't really pay attention to ownership in tournaments. Cause like I said, if, if you're playing a, a, a bunch of lineups and you have a, 
a certain player pool with about half dozen quarterbacks. You're probably going to be overweight on every quarterback. Um, and then at defense, 22% were owned 20% or more. And, um, you know, defense is another position. I don't pay too much attention to the chalk, but if there are a lot of options in a given week, then I will try to pivot off the chalk just because the, it's so unpredictable. So if there's an opportunity to kind of get away from the chalk, I'll take it, but I'm not going to force in a contrarian play either. On FanDuel, the average highest owned running back was 24.6%, and the average highest owned running back, um, wide receiver, excuse me, was 23.7%, so a little lower than on DraftKings, and again, that's because you don't have the flex spot there. There were, there was a 20% plus owned running back in 58% of winning FanDuel Sunday Million lineups, but both running backs are 20% owned or more only 8% of the time. At wide receiver, there was a 20% owned wide out in 63% of winning lineups, but there were two or more in only 13%. There was actually two in 13%. There was never all three receivers at 20% or more. And then at tight end, there was a 20% owned tight end in 8% of winning lineups. There was no 20% owned quarterbacks in any of the lineups. 21% of quarterbacks were in double digits. So again, that's just because quarterback ownership is flat. At defense, 17% of the time, you had a defense that was owned 20% or more that made it into the winning lineup. And a kicker, 8% of the time, there was a kicker at owned 20% or more in winning lineup. So I know that was a lot to digest. You can rewind it if you want and check that out. Again, a lot of different ways you could take this, but really have to keep in mind that um, a lot of the chalk plays being in these winning lineups is more so due to the fact that most people just aren't uh, making lineups entirely devoid of chalk plays. And I don't think, because, again, this reflects the skill of the field in general. So, I mean, when you're constructing lineups, I don't think, you have to necessarily avoid all chalk plays all the time. I just think um, you just have to be mindful of the fact to not overexpose yourself, especially when you're working with a limited amount of lineups. Any final thoughts, TJ? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much uh, what this highlights is is just how um, how unpredictable that not just football but predictions in general can be and that – just because things have worked in the past um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to work in the future or vice versa. And uh, just be really aware of that. Like just, just because everyone else is saying that this is the right move, it's a, um, this is just such the perfect game to, to flip that on its head. And uh, I mean, not to get too far off track, but I think a book that, that highlights that this concept really well is, um, fooled by randomness by um, uh, um, uh, Nicholas, not Nassim Tlaib. So uh, check that out if you, if you want to dive a little deeper into these concepts because it really gives you a, a really good grasp on on how if, if you get that, that concept in your brain, um, you can get really comfortable with uh, getting out of that fear of missing out mindset. Definitely. And at the end of the day, especially in tournaments, it really does just come down to who can build the highest scoring lineup. And, you know, ownership is just one consideration in that. And I think you have to be mindful of it because you are playing against your competition, but you have to keep it in context. And I wrote an article earlier this season 
Uh, it was actually the first Raybon's review column. It's it's free on four for four, or that column I believe was free on four for four. Um, the 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 weekly column is part of the DFS subscription, but essentially it was entitled uh, "You Don't Have to Roster Volatile Players to Win GPPs," and it was kind of going along the same lines as that. You some people I think play maybe too much expose themselves to too much chalk and gpps but on the other end of the spectrum some people kind of understand these bust rates and understand that kind of nasim talib's mindset in anti-fragile uh, another great book that i also encourage you guys to check out along with food by randomness and black swan and pretty much anything that he has written um but it's that some people try to roster a whole bunch of dart throws and super contrarian plays and just off the wall plays and that's not necessarily e- uh necessary either um what i found was that the players in winning gpp lines were on average actually more consistent than the average player at their position so it's really a, a matter of just finding a happy medium uh being able to kind of differentiate without just going completely off the wall and, and, and completely rostering these these players who really just you don't have a good shot at predicting when they'll go off so you know I think you, there's always ways to kind of identify some of the more low-owned plays that could be in good spots you know for example you know Jay Ajayi was in the winning Millie Maker lineup last week his ownership was four percent and I mean, the indicators were there just in the fact that the guy had ran for 200 yards the week before. I mean, you know, not many people were on him, and, you know, Arian Foster was back, and, you know, there were, there were many reasons, you know, I guess why people weren't on him, but at the end of the day, that in, there was one huge indicator saying, hey, this guy has a ton of upside, and that was the fact that he ran for 200 yards the week before. So, I mean, these guys are out there. They these low owned plays that you can identify they're out there they exist um you know TJ did some great work um DFS big game profiles where he kind of broke down the predictive indicators of big games so anytime you see a guy that kind of fits that methodology or fits the, fits the criteria that's not projected to be high owned that's a guy you can consider rostering but at the end of the day it just comes down to building lineups that outscore the field so I think you know. Keep it in mind, ownership is important because you want to know how your opponents are thinking and what they're doing. But at the end of the day, you know, keep in mind the bus rate so you don't overexpose yourself to chalk. But also keep in mind that, you know, the skill level of the field that usually the field has to use at least one chalk player at running back and wide receiver to win a tournament. So once you're just aware of all those pieces of information, I think just naturally you're going to start to create tournament lineups that make sense and should give you a, a good shot and improve your chances. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. This was a pretty long conversation, but really good one. Really enjoyed it. Um, again, guys, make sure to check out the 444 DFS subscription. You can go to 444.com right now to check it out, or you can go to my Twitter account at Chris Raybon and my pin tweet has a discount code that you can use for the DFS subscription or any of the other 444 subscriptions. Uh, make sure to follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. He's always dropping a lot of gems, a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of great stats, and he even screenshots some of his spreadsheets from time to time. So really great uh, DFS follow. Uh, TJ, uh, want to talk about roster coach really quickly? 
Sure. Uh, Roster Coach is a website that I founded that is a really great uh, complement to any DFS research you're already doing where uh, we're just going through our process and, and breaking down exactly how we're using all this information, implementing it to our process, uh, oftentimes taking stats that you find right on 4 for 4 and showing you how we do things like break up our exposure and expose ourselves uh, to these chalk plays. So you can you can just basically look over my shoulder and see how I or the other coaches are doing that. Uh, coaches like myself and Chris Raybon are available for one-on-one DFS coaching. So if you are looking to take that next step in DFS or just uh, really on a time crunch, whether it's overall or just in a given week, uh, you can hit us up um, and we can do a little one-on-one session and and uh, get you squared away for whatever you're looking to improve on in your DFS game. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great resource. I've worked with a bunch of clients already. Um, they've been having good success. And I think one of the most valuable things w- with the one-on-one coaching is being able to have somebody uh, review your past week in DFS and kind of mm-hmm. tell you um, where you went wrong because it might not be obvious to you um, because, of course, you, you spent time, you know, you convinced yourself, uh, you know, you came to the conclusion of what players you should be playing and you know for somebody else they can easily step in and just say you know alert you to where your thought process is awesome it will it will just happen a lot quicker than if you were maybe trying to um go about figuring that out on your own so rostercoach.com really really a great resource um follow rostercoach on twitter at rostercoach and thank you guys for listening to dfs mvp we really appreciate it appreciate all the love um appreciate all the positive feedback we've gotten um if you like the show please leave us a review on itunes and uh we hope you have some good luck here in week eight so let us know how you guys are doing um again follow tj at tj hernandez follow me at chris raybon and final words tj must be the shmoney Let's get this money.
don't know how to act. Without no vouchers on no boosters, bringing nothing back. You should feel the impact. Shopping with blast when the sky's the limit and them haters can't get past that. Watch me as I gas that. Four got six rain. Once again, anything change. Every time I switch lanes, it feels strange now. Making a living on my brain instead of cane now. I got the title from my mama, put the whip in my own name now. The change now. Running credit checks with no shame now. I feel the fame. Come on, I can't complain no more. I'm the main now. In and out my own town. Out of New Jersey, from Courtney B, telling me about a party up in NYC, and can I make it? Right, I'll be on the next flight. Pancake, first class, sitting next to Vanna White. Come on, if you wanna go and take a ride with me, we be willing in the fold with the goldies. Honey's look, no they wish. Come on, boo, give me a kiss. Come on. If you wanna go and 